it worth it because that was absolutely, absolutely awesome. Um, so today is Youth Sunday, and I am absolutely pleased to announce a mentor, a friend, and a leader of all of the youth pastors across Illinois. Um, John Quincy Adams says that if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. And Eric is a leader. He not only just leads from the front, like he leads by example, because he will still outgive the rest of us in Speed of Light. As much as any youth pastor can give, he's still going to outdo it. I think it's just a competitive edge in him, though. Um, playing basketball or anything with him, I just know there's that competitive spirit in him. But it is easy. They always tell you, you have to be a big fan of your leader. And I am overly blessed to be a huge fan of my leaders, both here at the church and over the state of Illinois. I've been doubly blessed because I can easily be a fan of my leaders. And like I said, you have to lead by example, and both have. And I am excited that you guys get to hear from Eric's heart today. Um, give it up for Eric as he comes up. All right. Can you hear me? Hey, uh, I just want to start by saying, Pastor Dave, thanks so much for having me uh, be a part of your church family this morning. Uh, and Jake, the Deep South is not Decatur. <laughs> All right. Like, in four weeks, I will be in Metropolis. And how many of you know that's the Deep South? So, uh, but no, I, I'm blessed to uh, call Jake my friend, and uh, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. And I, I apologize, my family is not with me. Uh, my wife Liz and three kids, Matthew, Abby, and Emma. But I brought the next best thing. Tyler is one of our uh, Illinois Student Ministries interns. Uh, he's not as good looking as my wife or my kids, but we'll take him anyways, amen? <laughs> but uh, we just came off district council this past week. As Pastor said, my wife led worship, and my wife is an introvert, so uh, when she's around people for a long period of time, she tends to go into a dark cave known as our downstairs for three days without wanting to talk to anyone, but that didn't work because I invited all the interns over our house on Friday, so she hasn't had her time to unwind and relax, so I'm sure she's doing that today. But uh, it's a blessing to be here. Uh, let me kind of give you my background. Uh, there's nothing on this side of heaven that qualifies me to do what I do. Saved by grace. Uh, I was heathen uh, until I was the age of 16. And God drastically changed my life when I accepted him into my, my heart. I come from, on my mom's side, three generations of witchcraft. Dad's side, three generations of pornography addicts. So uh, the most unlikely ever to stand on a platform would have been me, okay? I have an older brother, younger sister in my family. I was the last one to give my heart to the Lord, the stubborn one, because I didn't want to change my life, and yet God called me to do more. I don't take that lightly. I have the opportunity to travel our state and speak on behalf of students, children, and youth. That's my dynamic now as I oversee all children's and youth ministry for the state for the Assemblies of God here in uh, Illinois, 
and it is something that I'm completely unqualified for. As a matter of fact, uh, June 2nd will mark my three-year anniversary at the district office, and I can remember stepping into that position as a youth pastor thinking that I had a good grip on money because when I was a youth pastor, my budget every year was $6,000. I got $1,500 every quarter that I was responsible for, Pastor Jake, and all of a sudden I stepped into the, the district office, and they said, here's your budget, $1.1 million. Okay. <laughs> you know, if you misplace $60, really, you know, you're going to get in trouble, but not a big deal. But all of a sudden, $1.1 I'm like, what, what do I do? And then they tell me I'm in charge of kids' ministry. As a youth pastor, my, for the last 10 years, I did youth ministry. And all of a sudden, I come June 2nd to the district office, and kids' camp was June 9th. Now, I have three children, but I really don't like kids. <laughs> I like my own sometimes. Because kids have this uncanny ability to hang on you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? To cry a lot, to wet their pants, and to put their snot all over you. Okay, so imagine 500 of those kids at kids camp all wanting to get to know you because you're the new guy and you're famous. Have you ever seen a deer when you're driving down the road and you shine the brights in its eyes? That was me. So I come into the district office doing youth and kids ministry and I quickly recognize two things. Number one, there was no intentionality placed upon kids ministry in our state. Okay, I knew us, our group as youth pastors. We are some of the most arrogant people that you'd ever meet. Not Jake. Jake's amazing. <laughs> most of the time. Except when he's on a basketball court and he's running me ragged. All right. Um, number two, children's ministry in our state was rapidly dying. And we noticed this. Okay, under my portfolio, I do everything. Kids and ministry are like, guys, I take care of all the camps. When it comes to kids ministry, I'm over Rangers, Impact, which it was the mission ads, it's, it's now Impact, JBQ, BGMC, all the kids' camps, and then all the children's curriculum and resourcing that you can do. Then you add in the youth ministry side of it, and I'm over youth camp, fine arts, youth convention, PK retreat, speed the light, and everything resourcing and curriculum that comes, in, comes into play when it comes to youth ministry. It can be completely overwhelming, so we looked at this whole thing, and we said, where should we start from? Okay, we looked at kids' ministry understanding this. Okay, if you're, if you're a teenager, would you stand up? Teens, stand up if you're here. Okay. Now, let me, I know the kids just left. Let me tell you what this group represents in your church. You guys can be seated. Life. You know how many churches I go into on Sunday mornings that have no teenagers or children? Children and teenagers represent life. Health, 10, 15, 20 years down the road for this congregation. So we come into the national office and we, or the district office and we notice immediately that kids' ministry was dying. And if kids' ministry is dying, then ultimately 20 years from now, our churches will be dead. Okay. We notice that by one thing, missions giving. Because how many of you know that if God has your money, he has your heart? All of a sudden, it really got uncomfortable with some of you in this room because you're like, I know where this guy's going this morning. I'm not going to apologize for it. So let me give you some highlights of what's gone on in our state. And then I'll give you the breakdown of BGMC and Speed Like what those are. Maybe I should do that first. BGMC, Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge. Throw me a buddy barrel. Right there. Okay? All right. How many of you have never seen this before? All right. 
This is a buddy barrel, BGMC. We give these to kids across our state to collect change in for missionaries. BGMC provides a following for missionaries, and the list even goes further. Chickens, goats, yaks, buses, curriculum for missionaries to teach tr- and train up pastors in other countries, water wells, okay, skull buildings, and the list can go on bunk beds, bedding. I, I've, I've seen it. I was in Kenya two years ago, South Africa last year, Vietnam last year. I get to see what BGMC is doing. It's important to train our kids up, okay, to give to BGMC so they become students who give to Speed of Light. We hear what Speed of Light is. Speed the Light provides vehicles and communication equipment for our missionaries. Missionaries like Mike Benke. You guys know him, right? Missionaries like Jeff and Mary Ann Stone. Last year, we paid for vehicles for both of those missionaries. Missionaries like Mike Williams. Okay, Scott and Susie Wiersma is looking at your wall. We paid for a vehicle two years ago for Scott and Susie through our students sacrificially giving to Speed the Light. We came into this thing, and we understood immediately that if children understand what it means to give to BGMC, BGMC BGMC provides the ministry needs for our missionaries, then they become students who give to speed the light so missionaries have vehicles so they can go into all the world and preach the gospel. So it's easy for me to be here this morning and talk about the programs of Speed the Light and BGMC because I'm passionate about it, but I'm more passionate about what they stand for. Spreading the gospel. BGMC and Speedlight is about spreading the gospel. So I have a question for you this morning. What are you investing in? We have an amazing opportunity in our district right now to invest in two things. Missions and our kids. As I travel, I I speak about this everywhere I go. Guys, we have an opportunity to invest in missions and our children. We can invest in the stock market. It may crash. We can invest in our homes. It may burn down. We can invest in our jobs. We may get fired. But if we invest in our children, we could change a generation. That's, God has laid upon my heart to lead this thing. okay? Because we've created a culture in our nation of students who are completely selfish. Who have no understand, understanding whatsoever what work ethic is. They think work ethic is playing a video game. Okay, students, I'm sorry, don't hate me. Sometimes truth is hard. Okay, if you're in this room right now and you're between the ages of 30 and 40, would you raise your hand? Okay? You guys ready? I'm going to be 40 this year. We did this. It wasn't our parents. It wasn't the the 20-year. We did this. We created this. In Judges, the Bible speaks that after Joshua passed away, the generation of him, after him, knew not of the Lord nor of his ways. Do you know that we have a generation right now in this nation that do not know the Lord's ways? They do not know that God can do the miraculous. They do not see divine activity happening on a daily basis. But right now, not in Illinois, it's not happening here because divine activity is happening in the hearts of our students for missions giving. Let me give you some numbers. 2014, I step into this thing, and we have 300 Assembly of God churches in our district. 300. So you're part of a big family. When people say to me, Eric, where's your home church? I have 300 home churches. Now that I'm standing on your platform, your family, I need you to hear that. Okay? I will be praying for you. I pray for you already. I will be praying for you, believing the miraculous can happen here in Belvedere. 
But in 2014, BGMC giving was at an all-time low in our district. $99,000 was given that year. It seems like a lot of money, but break it down to 300 churches and the people sitting in those churches and the kids in those kids' ministries. $99,000 is nothing to the Lord. Speed of light given that year was 215000 God laid upon my heart that we need to do something about this. We need to bring health back to our churches and to our students. We need to teach our kids that they can give sacrificially so others can hear the gospel. The following year, we, we launched this movement called One in 5,000. It was simple. What would it look like if we found 5,000 people across our state to simply give $100? And if they gave $100, we had a great deal for them. We'd give them a t-shirt. It was a $100 t-shirt. They thought I was crazy. Okay? This morning, at the end, I'm going to give you an opportunity to buy a $100 t-shirt for missions. You may be thinking, well, you don't have my size. Well, you're wrong because I have everyone's size. From the biggest person to the smallest. Well, you mean tell me you're giving away $100 onesies? Yes, I am. <laughs> Sounds crazy, but I've already gotten rid of 16 of these this year because people understand the concept that we need to invest in our kids. So that year, we saw missions given in our state go from 99000 and 215000 combined 314000 in 2014 to the following year, BGMC, one in 5,000 movement. People looked at me and said, you're crazy. We'll never raise 500 grand collectively, BGMC and Speedlight. Well, that year, collectively, we didn't raise 500,000. We raised 501,000. We increased our missions given. Students got behind this thing. Okay? It was insane to watch our kids and our churches come behind something bigger than what they could ever be a part of. So now, me, I believe that God's word is true. I believe that when I open up the Word of God, it's, this, it's complete truth from beginning to end. I'm sick and tired of seeing people say that they serve the Lord, they believe in the Lord, and yet they live as if He can't do it through them. I'm not that guy. I, I believe that God has given me a burden to reach people, to spread the gospel in this uncanny, unshakable, audacious faith that God can. So the following year, we go into this thing, and I, we launch a goal of trying to raise $1 million in one year, BGMC and Speedlight, to increase 500 grand. Seemed absolutely berserk. We didn't hit a million last year. But what we did see was BGMC giving went from 99000 to 165000 to 313000 last year. Speedlight went from 215000 to 327000 to 467,000 last year. We raised nearly 800,000 as a district. Our students and leaders got behind this thing. I watched last year at kids camp. You guys ready for it? It's going to blow your mind. Kids camp last year. Kids came forward. We take a BGMC offering, two weeks of kids camp. We give kids the opportunity to give. Last year at kids camp, our kids across our district gave $31,000 to BGMC. At youth camp, two weeks after, a month after, at two weeks of youth camp, I watched our students give 83000 to speed the light. We come to Momentum Youth Convention. God speaks and says, Eric, you need to challenge the students. They'll meet you. I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? You're going to be the first district to buy a semi-truck for Convoy of Hope. 
How many of you know Convoy of Hope? Okay, Convoy of Hope, re disaster relief. They show up on the scene when anything hits. Tornadoes, hurricanes, they, they're, they're on the scene providing food and resources for people. I call Convoy of Hope on the phone. I'm like, hey, listen, my name's Eric Hoffman. I'm from Illinois. We want to buy a semi-truck in one offering. They thought I was insane. Our students showed up at Momentum, and they gave 137000 in one offering. Students, guys, divine activity is happening right now in our district. We see for BGMC, let me, let me share some testimonies. I'm going to show you a picture. This isn't Satan, okay? It's not Satan. Looks like Satan, but it's not Satan. Check out this picture, okay? That there is a Pokemon character. I was in a church service a month and a half ago. Listen to me. I'm up on the stage preaching, and in the congregation that morning was a young man, seven years of age, and he's coloring this picture. I'm glad I was inspiring him with my words. But sometimes we need to understand that the Holy Spirit inspires in different ways than speakers. And the Holy Spirit told him that he was going to color this picture and he was going to auction it off on Facebook for BGMC. You want to know how much money he raised for that picture? $278. What are we investing in? Next, I walk into that same church. This young lady is handing these dolphins out. She's selling them for BGMC. I bought five of them. This is the best looking of the five. The one specifically that I'm thinking of was a brown dolphin. Never seen a brown dolphin before. Okay, it was like she took all the, all the paints and she mixed them together, Pastor, and she colored her dolphin. And I bought five of them. I went up on a platform. I spent $10 for five colored dolphins. And I stood in, that, in front of that church and I said, what are we investing in if not our kids? That morning she walked out. She made $152 for BGMC that morning. Then we have this family, the Hempels. All right. They're from Moline, New Life Fellowship Church. Eleven of them in total. You see they're wearing their shirts there. That's $100 shirts. They said, we're going to do this thing for missions. We're investing in our kids. You can see their kids are coloring pictures. Right now my refrigerator is covered in buddy barrel pictures and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle hands. I need you to know, if I see it on Facebook, I'm, I'm the first to buy. And like, I need my leaders to see. Leaders lead. And leaders give. Like, I bought five gallons of soap. One of our students selling soap for Speed the Light. I have no idea what I'm going to do with soap. I bought candles. I have, the, like, this entire drawer of just junk at my house right now. It's my missions junk drawer. Love it. Hallelujah. What am I investing in? Then we have a young lady by the name of McKenna who's selling keychains for BGMC. I have mine right here. I'm going to show it to you. It's a ladybug. All right, I, I, bought, I bought five of these as well. Gave one to each of my family members. What are we investing in if not our kids? You see, God has called you, Belvedere first, to reach the entire world. And he's given us examples of children who are leading the way. Let me show you a video this morning of a young lady by the name of Emily Hardy. I'm Emily Hardy, I'm 11 years old, and I go to Church and Industry, Illinois. What got me really excited about raising money for BGMC this year was when Liz and Eric and their kids came to church to speak to us about what they were doing this year. 
uh, Eric had challenged the adults all to try to set a goal and try to help uh, with BGMC and Speed the Light. And while he was challenging us, uh, his wife Liz was challenging the kids in the kids' church. And on the way home, Emily had made the statement that she was going to tr do a faith promise and she felt like God had told her that she should try to raise $1,000. After the conversation in the car when Emily told us that she wanted to raise $1,000 for BGMC, um, I was definitely all behind her on that, but I was a little nervous because I wasn't sure how a then 10-year-old was going to be able to raise that amount of money, and I wanted her to do it on her own. We weren't going to just give her the money, but I knew she could do it. So we just kind of started brainstorming, and... Uh, one of the ideas was to have a yard sale and see if people from the church and, and family and friends would donate unwanted items that we could set up and, and have this uh, just a donation only yard sale and through that she raised a little over $700. So when I started to raise money I did a yard sale and I did dog treats and I made homemade ornaments for Christmas. Emily's also been very blessed with the gift to be able to play the piano and there was a gentleman in our church who approached her and knew that she was trying to raise money and offered to pay her $50 a week for each week that she would play a solo for offertory for the church and she done that for the entire month of May and then she also plays the French horn but she was really kind of bashful about that but when the gentleman offered her $100 for a solo in that she agreed and made an additional $100 doing that. She easily hit her $1,000 goal way before the end of the year and decided to just keep going because why stop? And so we, we really, up until the very end of the year, she was raising money. I saw my faith grow throughout the year as Emily was raising money because you know the thousand dollars I could see would be doable for for a year you know you could you can work that out and divide it and it doesn't end up too bad but um, the way things just kept coming and like the money just kept coming in and we didn't have to work really hard to come up with ideas they just came and people offered their ideas and here I would pay you if you did this so um, it was just really cool to see how it just kind of happened. If I was gonna tell another kid or a teenager or anybody to on how to raise money or how to stay motivated I would say just believe in yourself and um, get creative. So uh, this past week at District Council I brought Emily and her family to uh, Carlinville and we presented her with an achievement award because in the past year she started raising money for BGMC last May and uh, from May to May she has now hit the $10,000 mark. We have a theme this year in our district. Faith is rising. I'm done not leading our kids to believe that God can. I'm not an event coordinator. People look at me and say, well, Eric, you do camps and conventions. No, we give kids an opportunity to encounter the Lord. It has to happen through generosity. If you call my office, Pastor, and you say to my girls and my, my staff, you say, what are you known for ISM, Illinois Student Ministries? They'll say generosity. 
It's the heart of God. Also, the heart of God is to see the gospel spread. We do that by partnering with our missionaries through BGMC. This is Buddy. The Buddy Barrel. A dumb, stuffed animal that represents such a bigger picture. Because the Emily Hardys are beginning to get it. And it used to be the time, parents, to where we would inspire our kids. But our kids are inspiring us. They're outshining us right now because we forgot that God has called us to lead. What would it look like if in our homes right now, we live life believing that we can reach the entire world? That you have the opportunity, Belvedere first, to impact the entire world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can use this church to reach the entire world? Some of you are like, oh, I'm not quite. I mean, that's the God we serve. Like, that should bring us excitement. I received this back in February from the National Youth Director, Heath Adamson. He handed this to me. And on here, it talks about our speed of light given. Okay, we had our highest year ever for speed light. It says, Illinois District record year given $476,266.87. But that's not why I have this here. Because when Heath handed this to me, he looked me in the eyes and he said, Hoffman, every time you look at this, you need to remember that we're running out of time. Why do I travel every single weekend of the year to speak in congregations just like this? Because I understand that we're running out of time. That when I look into our world and I see how bad it really is, the time's coming where we won't be able to share the gospel. That right now we have missionaries like Jeff and Mary Ann Stone who contacted me a month and a half ago. Listen to this. Jeff contacted me. We spent pretty much all summer together. He was at camp with us. Okay, that's my brother and sister in the Lord. I love those guys. I cover them in prayer. And Jeff got a hold of, of, of me on Facebook, and he said, Eric, I wanted you to be the first to know. I led my first Muslim to the Lord today. There's people that are poor and without hope that are waiting for missionaries to present the gospel to them. But for you and I, we need to understand who, what poverty and hopelessness look like because I, I get sick and tired of hearing, well, what about here in the U.S.? What about the U.S.? Here in the U.S., you can walk into any public restaurant or gas station and get clean water. It's not that way in Kenya. Totally wrecked me for life when I saw kids drinking out of water that was being shared by animals that was as black as this tablecloth. Not anymore. Most of the time when a church offers me a bottle of water, I won't even take it, Pastor, because I'm afraid I'm not going to drink it all. Because how many times do we throw away half bottles of water and not even think anything about it? It's because we don't understand poverty and hopelessness. The World Bank has this way of measuring poverty and hopelessness it's it's god's heart that we do so listen to the scripture isaiah fifty eight ten says if you feed those who are hungry and take care of the needs of those who are troubled then your light will shine in the darkness and you will be bright like the sunshine at noon how many of you want to be bright like the sunshine but then on the contrary it gives a stark contrast to those words in first john three seventeen. it says suppose someone has enough to eat Suppose someone has enough to live and sees a brother or sister in need, but does not help them. Then God's love is not living in them. 
if you see people in need and choose not to help, then the Bible says then God's love isn't living in you. So how do we label the poor? The World Bank gives a description. Okay, the World Bank is there to tell us that the desperately poor are those who live in the world right now who make less than $2 a day. It's their responsibility, the World Bank's responsibility to eradicate poverty and hunger. So right now the World Bank tells us in, in Africa, and I'm going to show you this by allowing this gumball. You guys ready? Everyone see this nice pink gumball? It's going to represent 1 million people. Okay, so every time you see a gumball in these next moments, I want you to think a million people. The World Bank tells us that right now, living on less than $2 a day on the continent of Africa, that there's 650 million people in Africa living on less than $2 a day. The World Bank tells us in India that there's 890 million people in India right now living on less than $2 a day. China... 480 million. The rest of Asia, the World Bank tells us that there's another 810 million people. And then if you add in Latin America, you have another 105 million people. So right now, before you this morning, is a representation of 3 billion people in our world living on less than $2 a day, poor and without hope. Now, immediately when you see this, your heart is tugged and you're like, this guy isn't playing fair this morning. I never play fair when it comes to missions. I don't feel bad about it. Your heart begins to be tugged that you need to, you, you need to do something. We need to change this. Ultimately, as the United States, we try to change it. As a matter of fact, every single year, we see roughly a million people coming into our nation looking for a new start. We've set up work programs and college scholarships and, and adoption agencies so we can allow these people in these dark areas that are poor, without ho- poor and without hope to come into our country. But unfortunately, those who come into our country tend to, de- to define those who would come across our border from Mexico. Those people who typically come from Mexico... The World Bank tells us they make roughly 345 pesos a week. You're like, okay, what's that? $26 a week. Those who come into our nation every single year live on an income of $26 a week. And the World Bank tells us that number is this 3 billion people plus another 2.6 billion people. Five point six billion people in our world right now living poor and without hope. Do you believe that God can use you to change the entire world? Well wait, Eric, you're you're talking about being generous. We can be more generous, can't we? We can change the number of people that come into our country. What if next year instead of a million people We allow 2 million people to come in. Well, the World Bank tells us it won't work. Because in these areas, this representation of 5.6 billion people, that the birth to death ratio will add every single year another 80 million. 
Well, wait, 2019. It could be a great year. We could be super generous. And instead of two, we can allow five million people to come into our nation. But again, the birth to death ratio in these dark areas of the world will add another 80 million people. Well, wait, but let's, man, we're just going to take a handful, millions of people, because we truly want to change the world. But it won't matter because the birth to death ratio will add another 80 million people. My wife and I have come to understand that ultimately we, we, can't, we can't change it by bringing them here. How we can change it is God has already given us people who are going. Jeff and Mary Ann Stone, Mike Benke, Mike Williams, Scott and Susie Wiersma. They're already there and they're looking for you and I to get behind them. To give of the resources that we have. For Liz and I, we understand that God can do more with it in His hands than He ever could with it if we keep it in our own hands. I need you to know that this morning, okay, and I'm not saying this boastfully, but God challenged my wife and I, and He said, when you speak messages about missions, you're to sow a seed of 100 bucks everywhere you go. Okay? And my youth pastors know this, man. I share it. They, they know. It's not saying it boastfully, but there's just something about that when you give mom and dad, it gives you leverage with your kids. Hey, listen, we're going to give because I give. And I need you to understand giving. Because if our students understand giving, if they give to missions, now they're going to pay their tithe in 15 years. Amen? Okay, this is discipleship at, at its greatest moment. We need to get to the heart of our kids. We need them to understand that it depends on whose hands it's in for, the, for it to be measured and for it to be great. For example, imagine... A basketball in my hands. It's worth about $30. But you take that same basketball and you place it in the hands of Steph Curry, and that basketball is worth about $44 million because it depends on whose hands it's in. Okay, A football in my hands creates nothing of excitement. But you place that same football in the hands of Peyton Manning, and it, it created one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time because it depends on whose hands it's in. A rod in my hand, it, it's just a stick. But you place that same rod in the hands of Moses and a mighty sea is parted because it depends on whose hands it's in. A slingshot in my hands is dangerous. You don't want to see it. But you place that same slingshot in the hands of David and it becomes a mighty weapon because it depends on whose hands it's in. Two fish and five loaves of bread in my hands, I may be able to make a couple of fish sandwiches. But you place that same two fish and five loaves of bread in the hands of Jesus, and thousands are fed because it depends on whose hands it's in. Mud and spit in my hands is disgusting. But you place that same mud and spit in the hands of Christ, and a blind man will see because it depends on whose hands it's in. Nails in my hand, I may be able to build a box. But nails in the hands of a Savior produce salvation for the entire world because it depends on whose hands it's in. How do we reach 5.4 billion people who are poor and without hope? Well, it's time we relinquish some of the finances we have. I've come to this understanding. You know, it's funny because missionaries come in, and we all know when a missionary shows up, we're going to give in an offering. Okay? Missionaries are afraid to ask for it. I'm not. 
Here's what I understand. People don't have just one pocket. They have four. Right? Sometimes God uses certain words to dip into each pocket. And I want to say to you this morning, what's God speaking to you? Because we need to understand the greatest investment that we could make is in missions and our children. I know, Pastor Jake, what's your goal this year for Speed Light? No, youth. What's your personal goal? I'm going to call you out right now. Personal goal. These youth pastors are absolutely crazy, Pastor. I did a dream session back in January. I called together all of our youth and children's pastors. We met. What's God speaking to you first? Youth and children's pastors in a room on a whiteboard wrote their numbers personally, what they're going to give this year to Speedlink BGMC. It totaled $145,000. There was 50 of us in that room. Makes it a lot easier to speak about something that you believe in. I believe that God can use this church to reach the entire world. And it all comes down to one simple word, faithfulness. It's God speaking to you this morning. I want to share this morning three regulations of giving. One, you can only give what you have to give. Two, you will only give what you are willing to give. And three, you can only truly give something away once. Listen to the scripture, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had come out of the boat, he being Jesus, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now let me rewind and read just a portion from Mark chapter 4. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. I want to pause there. Do you know that Jesus always has a plan? Like ultimately, if you haven't allowed Jesus to wreck you in such a way to where you look back years from now and you say, okay, yeah, now I get why you did what you did. Jesus always has a plan and he always chooses to use small groups of people to pull it off. Because that's where the miraculous happens. So I want to ask you again before I go forward, do you believe God can use this church to change the entire world? Like, do you believe that God can use this church, Pastor Jake, to change the entire world? I mean, because if you don't believe it, what's the point of a pastor standing on the pulpit and saying it? Like, we need to know that the Bible is true, that God wants to use you. He's equipped you to be used. Do you believe it? Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, I want you just to hear those words. The disciples said 
Who is this? Think about that. Those that were closest with Jesus didn't even recognize him. I'm, I'm tired of walking in our churches and those who say that they recognize Jesus are still asking the questions, can he still do it? Yes, he can. But the disciples in that moment lacked the faith of who Jesus was, the Messiah, the one and only. And yet we go back to chapter 5, listen to this. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me, for Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He says, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Listen to this. As Jesus was getting back into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him go. How many of you have had an experience with the Lord at the altar? And there's no place else where you'd rather be at that time than in His presence. Saints, you know exactly. We, we don't see that type of thing happen much, much anymore in churches. But there's been those moments where we've encountered the Lord at the altar and we didn't want to be anywhere else. This is exactly what this man was experiencing. He looks at Jesus and he says, I want to go with you. But Jesus says, no. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis, which means ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So here in this scenario, let me just set this up. We have Jesus and his disciples. How many people is that? 13. They get into a boat, they go through a storm because sometimes Jesus needs to take us through a storm in order to recognize Him as Savior. Okay, remember, the disciples didn't even know who He was. Who is this man, the disciples asked. And they immediately come up on a shoreline and the Bible says that He meets a demoniac. The demoniac doesn't run away from Him, but He runs to Him because those who are truly in the darkness want the light. The demoniac runs to Jesus and he calls him by name. What do you want with me? Remember, the disciples didn't know, but the demoniac knew immediately, what do you want with me, Jesus of the Most High God? Right? Jesus casts the demons out. The man says, Jesus, I want to go with you. And Jesus said, you can't. Jesus commissioned him now from a demoniac, bound, now free, to an evangelist. He says, you can't go with me, but what you can do is you can go to the ten cities and you can tell them all about what I just did for you. What would it look like if our churches went into their city and told them about what Jesus had done for them? Hallelujah. Revival break loose. Church would look completely different. But here what happens, theologians believe that this man did exactly what Jesus told him to do because just days later, they believe Jesus found himself right back on that same exact shoreline, and it wasn't just a demoniac turned evangelist. He comes upon a crowd. We know that crowd to be 5,000 men, but people believe that there was as many as 20,000 people there. 
So when I read that, this evangelist did exactly what Jesus told him to do. He went and he told the Decapolis all about what Jesus, I once was bound. I was demon-possessed, but Jesus set me free. People wanted to come hear about it because the darkness always wants the light. These 5.6 billion people desire to have light in their life. The disciples, to me, they're the resident knuckleheads. Right? Sometimes we just don't get it. How many of you would say, man, sometimes, Lord, forgive me because I just don't get it. Here, the disciples begin to have this conversation. Jesus, we need to go because the people are hungry. Jesus looks at them and he asks them a question. He says, well, if they're hungry, give them something to eat. How many of you know that Jesus wouldn't ask you to do something that you couldn't do? (laughs) You're like, wait, I know where you're taking me. You're not setting me up. Okay, let me rephrase that. Do you know that Jesus wouldn't ask you to do something that you couldn't do, and in order for you to do it, sometimes you need to rely on him? Right? So he looks at the disciples, and he says, hey, give them something to eat. Immediately, they go on the defensive. Well, Jesus, we can't do that. That would take us nearly six months away, six months worth of wages. We don't even know these people. We're not giving out of our pocket for them. But what we do have, Jesus, this little boy right here, Jesus says, that he has enough to feed everyone. Do you know that our kids outshine us? They've always outshined us from day one. That their faith erupts all the time. That sometimes they're just looking for us as adults to listen to them because they truly do hear from the Lord. That when Emily Hardy looked at her mom and said, God told me that he wants me to raise $1,000, mom and dad immediately wanted to shut it down because they didn't think that she heard from the Lord. That my daughter, Emma who will be 11 in August, is close to hitting $10,000 in the past two years for BGMC. And she told me that she had a goal of $5,000 last year. And I said, honey, are you sure you heard from the Lord? It's easy for me to play the game up here on the platform, but I need to be real with you. Sometimes it's easy for me to speak faith, but it can't happen in my own family. Right? The disciples look at this thing, and they're like, hey, listen, we can't do it, Jesus, but... Here's a little boy right now. He has five loaves of bread, two fish, and he said it would feed everyone. Number 14 on the scene. 15. Jesus, 12 disciples, demoniac turned evangelist, little boy, gives Jesus his bread. We know the story. Jesus offers them to the Lord, begins to pass them out. Everyone there has enough to eat. They're full. And Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says, now what I want you to do is I want you to gather the leftovers. You know how many baskets were gathered? How many? How many disciples were there? Twelve baskets were gathered, Pastor. Twelve disciples. Do you think Jesus was trying to prove a point? Hey, maybe just maybe you didn't have the faith that I could do this, that this would be enough, but even though you lack faith, I'm still blessing you for it. God's not interested and what you don't have or what you can't do, but what you do have and what he's able to do through it. God is speaking to the hearts of a generation. Last year in Minnesota, there was a phenomenal miracle that happened. Well, someone got healed? No. Had nothing to do with physical healing. This was a story of a young lady who was at a youth rally. 
where the pastor stood up and encouraged his students to seek the Lord on behalf of what they should give to speed the light that year. This young lady was at the altar and she believed that the Lord told her that in 2016 she was supposed to raise $727 for speed the light. $727. She gets excited. I heard from the Lord. I'm going to my youth pastor. I'm going to tell him, Pastor, guess what? God spoke to me, and he wants me to raise $727. Well, that's an odd number. Why not $700? Why not $750? Why not $1,000? Why $727? She goes, I don't know, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to raise $727. So she kept a, by her bed a, a jar and it was her speed the light given jar. And every time she got extra money or every time she babysat or every time she got an allowance, she would put it in that jar. And November comes around. She tells the story. November comes around and she goes in her room, Pastor Jake, and she counts her speed the light jar. And immediately her heart was broken because in that jar with only a month left, she only had $500. Her dad comes busting in the door. Hey, honey, are you ready? Because us men, we can be really sensitive sometimes. Are you ready? Yeah, Dad, I guess. Well, why are you so down? Tomorrow's the first day of archery hunting. You're going out in the woods with your dad. It's our first time going out together. Your first time hunting. You should be ready to go. Yeah, Dad, I am. But, you know, remember what I told you about my speed of light goal? And yeah, so? Well, yeah, well, Dad, I, I, I heard the Lord. He told me $727, but I only have 500 well, that's not a big deal. We're going hunting tomorrow. Remember, sensitive beings that we are. Okay, Dad, we're going to wake up early. We're going to get out in the woods. So the morning comes. They wake up. They leave early. He goes out. He puts his daughter up in the tree stand. Okay, but before leaving, he says to her, he goes, Honey, how about this? How about if, if by chance you shoot a deer, I'll give you $1 for every, deer that pound, every pound that deer weighs. Okay, Dad. So they go out in the woods, he puts his daughter up in the tree stand, and she's out there all day long, he's pushing. If you're a hunter, you know sometimes you have to push. No one wants to do that job, it's horrible. But dad's on the ground, he's pushing, and she's up in that tree stand, and she doesn't see a deer all day long. And she tells the story that the sun began to set, and she looks out on the horizon, and she sees this deer. And this deer's not walking away from her, it's walking toward her. Now, let me share with you, I'm a redneck. Okay, I may not look like it, but my claim to fame is I can skin a deer in three minutes flat. My grandfather was a butcher. My dad was a butcher. We owned a deer processing business my entire life growing up. I skinned deer for 15, 20 years, okay? The joke is I grew up with a butcher knife in my hand. I've heard every deer story under the sun, not this one. She says, the deer was walking straight toward me, and it came, and it stopped right underneath my tree stand. She goes, so I pulled, put the arrow in. I, I drew the bow back. I let that arrow fly, and it hit the deer, and the deer didn't run away. It dropped dead on the ground right there. Okay, now listen, if you're a hunter, you know what I'm talking This is insane. Dad comes running over, and he takes this picture of what he describes as the biggest deer he's ever seen. They load it up. They load it up on the back of their cart. They drive to their pickup truck, drive the ATV up onto the trailer, 
drive to the deer processing plant, okay, and if it's like the one I worked at, I could imagine what it looked like. They take the deer off and they put it on the scale. How much did that deer weigh? That young lady begins to weep. Ugly cry, weep, she said. Her dad looks at her, she's crying. He goes, what are you crying for? You just shot the biggest deer I've ever seen. You know how many hunters go out in the woods their entire life and they never even see a deer that big? And yet on your first time hunting, your first time shooting an arrow from your bow, you not only shoot a deer, you kill it and it happens to be a monster. Remember dads, we can be sensitive. She goes, dad, it's not about the deer. I heard from the Lord. Dad, I, I heard from the Lord. Church, can I tell you that over two years ago, as I was praying, God spoke to me, and I can truly say now I, I heard from the Lord, that when he spoke words to me, I was scared to death. Typically, great moments of faith bring on fear. God said, Eric, you're going to lead a movement through the state of Illinois, through the students, that will take, catch fire nationally. That it's going to start with one in 5,000. You're just going to find 5,000 people to give $100. And from there, other districts are going to want, other states are going to want to find out how you're doing it. Because in 2020, you're going to come together for BGMC and Speed the Light nationally, and you're going to raise $100 million through the one in one million movement. Because what can't I do with $100 million for my missionaries? Scared me to death when, he, when, when that whole thing laid out to me that night. I'll never forget. I didn't even want to share it with my wife. But then something happened, and we hit 501,000 that first year. I'm like, I heard from the Lord. And now I can travel, and I can speak on behalf of missions, and I can look you in the eye and say, guys, listen, our missionaries need us to get behind them. Because every one of us can sense that our nation is going down the tubes. It's not being a doomsday prepper. I'm not that guy I am the guy to say that the time's coming near where we won't be able to spread the gospel. That right now our nation is the most blessed nation on this earth. That if our missionaries can't count on us, then who can they count on? Okay, it's kind of like, well, we give to world missions. Why do we need to give to BGMC and speed the light? Well, it's like sending a fire truck to a fire with all the equipment and yet no water in the tank. They can... They can pull that hose out of that truck and they can turn the valve on, but if they have no water, they can't put out the fire. If our missionaries do not have the necessary means through BGMC, through this buddy barrel, if we're not teaching our kids that they should be generous and give, so missionaries can provide mosquito nets and bunk beds and sheep and yak and, and donkeys and chickens and I can go on and on, clean water, resources to train pastors then the gospel can't be spread. Well, if our missionaries don't have vehicles and they can't drive to the outermost parts of the earth and the gospel can't be spread. You see, God uses small groups of people. He, he used Jesus, the 12 disciples, a demoniac turned evangelist, a little boy, but we often exclude mom, grandma, aunts, sisters. Your role with the kids are vital because you can teach them tenderness and compassion. Someone had to prepare that little boy's lunch and teach him what it means to give, to share. And then someone had to look at Jesus in Mark chapter 4 and say, you can use my boat to go across the sea. 
17 people that impacted ultimately 20,000 people and the gospel was spread. And it just started with one opportunity for Jesus to get into a boat. This September, I'm taking a team with me to South Africa. I can't wait. My family, along with 14 other children's pastors, we're going to South Africa and we're going to do kids camp for two weeks. I know you're talking camp here, breakaway kids camp, youth camp. I love camp season. It costs our students here in the States 200 bucks to go to camp. In South Africa, it's $60 a kid. One of our BGMC projects this year is to sponsor kids to go to Jackson's Ridge Kids Camp while we're there. Why is this important? Because the people that oversee that camp are Illinois missionaries Earl and Laura Goodrich. Speed the Light bought their vehicle last year. When I arrived in South Africa, they picked me up at the airport in their brand new Speed the Light vehicle. And it all ties together. We have to have children who give to BGMC, who become students who give to Speed the Light, who become young adults who give to World Missions, who ultimately become adults sitting in our sanctuaries on Sunday morning who understand what it means to tithe. Let me show you this video as I close this morning about Jackson's Ridge. Hi, my name is Neville Fannin and this is my wife Gail. Hi. We are the directors of Jackson's Ridge Children's Ministries Training Center in South Africa. We've been here since uh, 2009, so that's seven years at the moment. And, uh, but Jackson's Ridge has been going since the early 90s. Most of the children that actually come here have never experienced anything like this before. Jackson's Ridge is about changing children's lives. And then the secondary focus, which comes a very close second, is changing adults for children. We always ask that the group that's coming in will bring adults. The reason why we do that is that when they go back home, those adults are very much part of their lives and we termed a, a, a saying called a significant adult. Very few children have somewhere to turn when they, have, when they go through difficult times. Um, their parents many times are too busy or especially in South Africa, traditionally from the apartheid years, uh, the families are very, very uh, divided and separate. So father works in one province, mother works in another and the children stay at home with their grandmother who's usually very old and, and overburdened and so they really have nowhere to turn and so that's what we try to do is to uh, join the children up with a strong significant adult, a leader who will check on them back in their communities and be the person that uh, would really replace their parents in a way to help them. And, and that's what one of our major functions is going to be is to raise funds to bring these kids on camp because they have not got the resources to be able to do that. And over the years, we have seen children change significantly. So all in all, um, that's what we do. It costs just $60 to send one child to Jackson's Ridge Camp. $60 provides a child with a life-changing camp experience, connecting them to spiritual mentors and, for most, the presence of God for the first time. What may seem like very little to us makes an incredible impact in these children's lives in turn blessing entire families, villages, and communities with the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, now I ask you to be called to action. I know pastor's going to come up here in a moment. Um, so when you leave here, if you want a buddy barrel, 
I have them. You can take them home. I'll have them in the back. Um, if, if you give $100 this morning, if you can only give 20 if you can only give 10 but if you give 100 then I have a T-shirt for you. Just come back in the back and say, hey, I put 100 in the offering, and I'll give you a shirt. Um, but everyone can do something. Everyone can give change to BGMC. Everyone can invest in their kids. Everyone can invest in their teenagers. But let me talk to the teens right now. Okay? What are you going to do? I'm looking for a generation that wants to help me change the world. Okay, and sometimes it involves you working and volunteering. You have a youth pastor that will work his hind end off. It's one of the hardest working people I know. Okay, there's a reason for that. Follow his leadership and do greater things than what you ever thought you could do so the gospel can be spread. As parents, teach your kids that the best thing that they can do is give away. Give it away. Invest so the gospel can be spread. Because ultimately, we're running out of time. Thank you guys so much for giving me the opportunity to share this morning, and I'll be more than happy to meet you in the back. Pastor? A year and a half ago when when I got here, um, we as a church were very focused on we as a church. Since I have gotten here, our focus as a church has begun to taking it's begun to take our eyes off of just us and to actually see the world. You know, <laughs> we do a new members class now because we had people who had no idea what it meant to be connected to the assemblies of God meant. You know, that's that's not it, that's not you know saying anything bad about anybody. It's just where we were at as a church, right? It's where we're at. The thing about the assemblies of God, and this is this is why. <laughs> and listen, you will not meet anyone more loving and more cynical than me, right? Um, I am both of those things. But one of the reasons why I love the Assemblies of God is something you have to understand, that as a denomination, and denominations, and a, and a nun told me this once, that once an organization exists, its chief cause then is to propagate itself, is to continue existing. But the great thing about the Assemblies of God is while we are like number you know, uh, 11 or 12 as far as churches in America, as far as the total population of the churches in America, we're like number five worldwide. Because our focus has always been on missions. Our focus has always been on giving out. You know, God blesses givers, right? And the people who only receive and never give out stagnate. And one of the things about the Assemblies of God, the biggest Assembly of God church in the world is not in America. It's in South Korea. Because we've always had a heart for this. I remember I, I, was, in a, I was in a Baptist church for a few years, and we were talking about it, and they, they knew this. Baptist missionaries coming in knew this, that they'd be tracking with their Sherpa or their camel or mule or renting a cab or whatever to get out to the place where the people were at, and then here come the AG guy speeding along in his Land Rover, humping over, you know, and heading out there fully equipped because we made it a mission not only for us to give to the missionaries to support them, but to have our kids and our children and our youth to give to support them, that we don't just send them out there and say, okay here you go but we actually give them the tools and we have the best equipped missionaries in the world and that is why worldwide we're one of the biggest denominations not only that but when you look at America and you look at the different churches in America if you take them from 1990 to today every single one of them is bleeding people people are leaving they're turning away except us and I believe a big part of that is because our focus as a church is never just on us as a local church, but we're a part of something bigger, and we can give to something bigger, and in doing that, we are connected, that we are worshiping God when we give because it's going to other people who are going to reach because 
when it says the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, right? It, it's, it's not just preach in church, it's preach to these, because you know, one of two things is going to happen. Jesus is going to come or He's not going to come yet, right? If He comes, then giving was the best thing we could do and we did a great job and we're out. If He doesn't come, if he waits, if I don't get to see it with my own eyes, and I pray to God that I get to see the skies open up and the Lord step out with my own eyes. But if that doesn't happen, there will be a day in my lifetime where we are the mission field, where people from Asia and China and India are going to be sending missionaries back trying to win us. And we know this because Europe looks like that, right? When you look at Europe where we're sending missionaries and we're sending people in there because they let it grow cold and if we don't have a revival and if God doesn't move in our country and if we don't wake up, they're going to be sending missionaries back. So another reason why we're supporting them now is a matter of self-preservation because they may be winning our grandkids if we don't change what we're in now. Amen? So ushers, if you would come. Our shorter, younger ushers. <laughs> 